Good morning. It is good to be with you again today. Um, I do want to bring you up to speed on one thing. You know, our senior pastor, Scott Andrews, has been in the Middle East ministering to believers there. Uh, and he is supposed to return on Tuesday, but they just received word in the last 24 hours or so that his father uh, passed away. Uh, and that has been expected for some time. His father's been very ill for about a year or more now. But just keep him in your prayers uh, as you think about him and as they return home. I know he would appreciate that. Well, if you brought your Bibles or some electronic device that has a Bible on it, I'd like you, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 19. We're going to use this passage as a launching pad for our message today. We're continuing our series called Life Together. This is sermon number five in the 13-week series. Very quickly, I'll review a few things with you. In week one, we saw that life together always involves prayer for each other. We are to be a united people who persevere for one another in prayer because God uses prayer as a means for carrying out his purposes. Week two, we saw that life together is messy because we are all works of God in progress. We've all got our, our, our sins that we still wrestle with. We've all got uh, our, our hurts, habits, hangups, whatever you want to call it. Life together is messy. Therefore, the gospel has to be the foundation of everything that we do. It has to be. Week three, we heard from Dick Bransford. We saw that life together enables missions. The good news that Jesus saves from sin needs to be spread to every corner of the earth. And life together is what enables us to complete that mission. Last week, we saw that life together uh, requires confession and forgiveness. We learned that forgiven people forgive people. And a host of verses point us to that reality and that command. What I was trying to say last week, what I think the scripture was trying to say last week is essentially forgiveness builds bridges, even to our enemies. Unforgiveness builds walls, which doesn't help the advancement of the gospel or unify God's people. If you were here last week, I know that it was not an easy message. It was a hard, large pill to swallow for some of us. It was not an easy sermon to even preach. I had a lot of conversations and a lot of communication about that message this week. I know that forgiven people, forgive people is easier said than done. But I also believe that Jesus can do a great work in our hearts, no matter what. May he do that among us. Today should not be quite as heavy of a message. I, I hope that it's still challenging, but I don't think it will be quite as heavy. Today, we're going to see that life together requires hospitality to friend and stranger. Now, strictly speaking, hospitality in the Bible means the love of strangers or caring for the traveler. And as we're going to see this morning, as Christians, we are called to be hospitable to the stranger and to the friend. Now, the Bible was written at a time and in an area of the world that expected and assumed hospitality. The Mediterranean region in Bible times considered hospitality a sacred duty. Certainly the, the nomadic life that many lived 
probably played a, a, a part in that expectation. Most people traveled out of necessity, not for vacation. And travel in Bible times was not like it is today. You did not come across a cracker barrel every 50 miles along the highway. And you could only saddle your animal with so much. So life truly demanded hospitality. And in many ways, it was essential to the survival of the human race. According to Homer, an ancient writer, the civilized were those who love strangers and fear the gods. Egyptians saw hospitality as a gesture that would be rewarded in the afterlife. Romans considered it an, an obligation. Both of these cultures had an impact on God's people and God was pleased to impart a, a large portion of his word within these cultures. In biblical times, many nations viewed hospitality to the stranger as foundational. It was a sacred duty. I would not say that America in 2014 embraces this mindset. We live in a stranger danger culture, right? From the earliest days, we teach our children to not talk to strangers. And we, we have very good reasons for that. I'm not suggesting that that's a wrong thing to do. I just want to point out that from the earliest days, we have a very different concept of strangers. I mention it just to help us get our brains around how drastically different American culture is from the pervading culture during biblical times. If a stranger knocks on our door, we might not answer it because a stranger equals danger. But in Bible times, if a stranger knocked on your door, you fed him dinner, you offered him a bed, and you refilled his camel or donkey, their version of a car. <laughs> Caring for strangers, it was just a part of their monthly budget. So while I don't think this message will have the heaviness of last week's, I recognize that this one might just cause us to go, huh? We're supposed to do what? So before we go any further, let me lay a foundation for hospitality to friend and stranger. And you find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 19. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we read God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 19. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And this is a precious word. 
There's plenty of, of sermon material here. I'm not going to cover nearly enough of that. In fact, I think the ESV Study Bible has a fantastic note on this passage that I just want to share with you. It's up on the screen and I'll read it for you. It says, throughout the Bible, we see the greatest privilege a people can have is to be near to God. And the greatest curse is to be banished from his presence. In these verses, Paul announces the seemingly impossible. The Gentiles who were excluded from the promises of God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. More than that, the hostility between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. The cross of Christ, which brought together such disparate peoples, can surely be the means of reconciliation for those presently divided by ethnicity, nationality, upbringing, economic status, or any other earthly distinctions that wrongly separate us. So grace is the ultimate example of hospitality. We were strangers and enemies of God, and through Christ, we are invited into his kingdom to sit at his table and to eternally enjoy all that is his. And to make this possible, Christ did not sacrifice a few dollars from his budget or a meal from his refrigerator. He sacrificed his own flesh and blood. We who were strangers are now fellow citizens, members of the household of God. We have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. Therefore, the gospel should turn us into a people who welcomes the stranger so that he can become a friend. And the gospel should turn us into a people who make time and space for the friend so that fellowship can be enjoyed. Hospitality is a gospel-centered component of the community that we all long to experience. The very foundation of hospitality is seen in God changing our status from strangers to citizen of heaven. So with that as a foundation, let's see what else we can learn about hospitality from God's word today. First, we see that the Bible commands hospitality. And as God, was, as, as God was pleased to reveal his word, it became clear that he saw hospitality as a good and right practice for his people. Consider a few verses from the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, verses 33 to 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 70 to 22, God is providing some instruction about harvesting their crops. And he says that he wants them to, uh, to leave some of it behind for the stranger. In today's language, it might be this way. Create a budget line item so that you can care for strangers. And then in the New Testament, we see, again, a command to be hospitable. 1 Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's no whining. Romans 12.13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That's a description of what the people of God are to be like 
and to do. So we see from the Old Testament and the New Testament, a call to be hospitable to the stranger and to each other. So while there's, while there's a call to, I don't know what that is. Did y'all hear that? All right. While there's a general call for Christians to be hospitable, there are also two groups of people that are specifically mentioned in the call to hospitality. First, there's the elders and the overseers. In 1 Timothy 3.2, there, there, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable able to teach, and it, it keeps on providing some further descriptions of what an elder overseer must be like. Titus 1, 7 through 8 says, For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, hospitable, a lover of good. Elders are the leaders and the shepherds of a church. And if Alliance Bible Fellowship is to be a hospitable church, then the elders must be the pace setters in this ministry. If a complaint is laid before us that we are not a hospitable church, then the elders are the ones who must initiate change and seek to create a new culture among us. Part of the job description, part of the qualifications to be an elder is to be a hospitable person. May it be so here at Alliance. The other person or the other group of people that are specifically mentioned as, as they, are, they, are, they are commanded to be hospitable is actually widows. You see this in 1 Timothy 5. Paul provides some instruction on how to care for widows and which widows are, are to be the priority for a church and its care to them. And in 5.10, he mentions that a widow's hospitality to others should be considered as the decisions are made. I'm not going to chase that one too far right now. I just put it out there for you to ponder. All Christians are called to be hospitable. Two groups are specifically mentioned, elders and widows. There are a few examples of hospitality in the Bible. Uh, if you look at Abraham in Genesis 18, you see he encounters three strangers and he begins to express hospitality to them. It turns out that one of them is the Lord. Gideon entertains a stranger in Judges 6, and Samson's parents entertain a stranger in Judges 13. Both times, the strangers were actually angels. This brings to mind Hebrews 13, 2, which says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. It is likely that the writer of Hebrews is thinking of these kinds of Old Testament stories, but he leaves open the possibility that it could still happen to New Testament people, and we are among those people. We are New Testament people. So I found myself wondering this week if a stranger, if an angel, has ever walked in here on a Sunday morning and worshiped with us. If that has ever happened, I hope the angel experienced hospitality. There's also examples in the Bible of, of breaches of hospitality. And breaches of hospitality are continually seen as shameful in the Bible. 
Several Old Testament examples could be put before you. I'm just going to tell you two New Testament examples. In Luke chapter 7, verse 44, Jesus confronts a, a Pharisee named Simon. And Simon had been very unhospitable to Jesus. And Jesus is fairly blunt with Simon about his lack of hospitality. And then in Luke 9, 51 to 56, Jesus sends a few disciples into a Samaritan village to make uh, some arrangements for him to come in and, and, and be among them. And the Samaritans refuse to welcome Jesus into their village. James and John are so appalled at this, they looked at Jesus and said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They were like pyros or something. Let's just burn them. They didn't let us come in. But Jesus rebukes James and John, and he just moves on to another village. A couple of quick things I'll, I'll mention here. Even though Jews and Samaritans, they were not friends. James and John were so appalled that hospitality was not extended that they wanted to just have fire come down and burn everybody. That's how serious and how expected hospitality was, even among those who were not friends. And as a side to that, Jesus nicknamed James and John the sons of thunder. And this is a pretty good example of why he might have nicknamed that. Let's burn them all. Apparently, these two brothers were a bit rough around the edges. They were quick-tempered and uh, a bit direct in their speech. Have you ever met someone like that? And yet, as John continues to walk with Jesus, and I think James too, uh, the, they experience the love of God so much that they're changed. And John, specifically, in his the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you go and read those passages, of those sections of Scripture, and what does he talk about over and over? He talks about love over and over. This is the power of the Gospel. Christ can change our personalities over time. And life together, if we'll stick with each other, allows us to see God do His work in each one of us and make us more like him. So the summary of all of that is that hospitality is expected and commanded in the Bible. It's not an option or a good suggestion. It's a command in the Old Testament and in the New. How often are you extending hospitality to friends and to strangers so that they might become friends? We also see in the Bible that hospitality is presented as a spiritual gift. I think it can be lumped in with the gifts of service and helps. We, we, we see those gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. I also believe a decent case for hospitality as a spiritual gift can be made from 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Let's look at that one really quickly. It says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. 
Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see a lot of things there. I'll just briefly point out several of them. First, our prayer life can be hindered by bad behavior or foolish thinking. Second, we are to keep loving each other because love covers a multitude of sins. We're to keep loving each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Third, hospitality is something we are to extend to each other without grumbling. Fourth, we use our gifts for God's glory. That means we can use this gift for God's glory. You see that in verse 11. And then finally, gifts can be broadly categorized into speaking gifts and serving gifts. And hospitality is definitely a serving gift. So the application here is is that all of us are to practice hospitality to friend and stranger. Some of us have been uniquely gifted by God for hospitality so that this church can be strengthened if you use this gift. God's glory can be seen and celebrated as you use the gift of hospitality. Sinners can hear the gospel and saints can be strengthened when people use this gift that God has given them. And there's a tremendous opportunity in extending hospitality to strangers. Jesus Christ counts it as a welcoming of him. Matthew 25, 35, Jesus said, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. There's also a tremendous opportunity to to strengthen the church as we extend hospitality to each other. Hebrews 12, 13 says, we're to show hospitality, contribute to the needs of the saints. This is a call uh, within the context of us being a body of believers that love and care for each other so that God can be glorified. And this command to be hospitable, it's not a burden. It's actually an incredible opportunity to be Jesus to people. This isn't law, it's gospel with hands and feet. I believe the dinner table might be among the very best, best places to build a relationship with the lost today. And our senior pastor, Scott Andrews, he's called us to this this year. Remember way back in January, He shared the 2014 vision for for us as a church. And and in that vision, he called us to to build a gospel-centered community. And at one point, he told us, and I quote, be an old-timer and show hospitality. That was one of the things he asked all of us to do. Be an old-timer and show hospitality. Some of you have been coming here for 20-plus years. You are an old-timer in more than one way, right? Some of you have been coming here for two years. No matter how long you have been coming here, if you consider Alliance Bible Fellowship your church, we are asking you to not act like a guest, but be a welcoming host to others. We wanna be a welcoming, hospitable place to strangers, and we need everyone to help us do that. 
So let me share some of the ways that we are trying to be hospitable here at Alliance. The first thing that pops in my mind, the most recent is Joy Prom. That was hospitality to strangers. And if you were here that day, you know how wonderful it was. Many of us stepped out of a comfort zone on that day. And it will likely go down as one of our favorite days of 2014. It was a beautiful day. God blessed it. And beyond even that, I think of Luke 14, 12 to 14, where he talks, Jesus is talking about inviting people who can't pay you back and what a blessing that will be. And that's what joy prom was. And yet we were blessed in many ways. Another thing I think about is encounter. This is a ministry designed to welcome friend and strangers every Sunday morning. The parking lot team, it has a gospel-centered purpose. It's to welcome people and to help people inside. Greeters, ushers, the coffee area, the welcome center, these have gospel purposes. It's not just about a parking space or a seat or a cup of coffee. It's about being hospitable, which the scripture calls us to. If your spiritual gift is hospitality, this is a ministry we need you leading. And even if you do not have the spiritual gift of hospitality, the scripture does not allow you to be exempt from practicing this. In my opinion, my opinion, the scripture gives warrant to placing every member of this church on an encounter team, even if you don't volunteer for it. The scripture commands us to be hospitable to friend and stranger. The scripture calls us to practice this. The encounter ministry, I don't think, in a biblical sense, is actually an option if you're a Christian at Alliance Bible Fellowship. It's a means to fulfill what God has commanded. How would you respond if we just put you on one of those teams? I hope you'd say, all right. Let's do it. Another extension of hospitality that the church is involved in is Green Street Catering. Almost every Thursday, hundreds, literally hundreds of meals leave this building and get sent all over the high country. Most of the recipients are complete strangers to us. There are ways to be involved in this ministry if that intrigues you. And I encourage you to contact the church office if you want to be pointed in the right direction. Finally, as we mentioned earlier, uh, we're doing something that we call Dinner for Eight. We've done this before. We're bringing it back again. If you are basically 18 or older, single or married, it doesn't matter, you can participate in this event. I suppose you could participate in it if you're younger, uh, if you ask your parents. They drive you there, I guess. Essentially, you sign up to host strangers over for dinner or you sign up to eat dinner with strangers who come to Alliance every week. We've done it several times. Many people have begun new friendships as a result of this, or they've found a life group as a result. I know it can sound a little bit crazy to sign up to go eat with a bunch of people you might not know very well or might not know at all, but it actually has a very strong biblical foundation. I'm sure some of you at this point are thinking, well, this sermon has just turned into a commercial for different ministries. That's not my intention. 
I'm just trying to, to show you practical ways to apply this call from the Bible. These are ways that you can be involved in the ministry of hospitality as we do and live life together as a church. But our individual homes are to be places where the ministry of hospitality happens as well. Some of us are uniquely gifted for this, but all of us are called to it in some capacity. Now, just to be honest with you, I have had to learn this over time. My wife is much more natural at it than me. I think hospitality can be a very manly thing. This is not some woman thing, but for me, I've had to grow in this area. When we were in seminary, we, we were very poor. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Carol wanted to invite people over for dinner. We had inherited a dining room table from the family that actually had four leaves in it. It would go across the entire apartment. But we only had two chairs. So I told her that before we had people over, we would need to save up some money to buy more chairs. Besides, strangers equal danger, Carol. Carol disagreed, invited some strangers over and just asked them to bring their own chairs, which they were happy to do. And they became wonderful friends that we still keep up with today. In fact, one night while we were in seminary, these same friends called us and informed us that some chairs had been left by the dumpster and our chair problem was solved. There was no shame in that. Another time, uh, earlier in our marriage, when we lived in Kentucky, Carol invited an elderly man over for Easter lunch. He had recently lost his wife. And when she told me the idea, I said, he's not going to want to come. He's going to want to go be with some extended family or, or something she invited him over, and it remains one of our most enjoyable Easter lunches ever. He was such a blessing to us, and I, I think uh, that we were a blessing to him, at least Carol was. <laughs> a few years ago, our family, uh, living in Boone now, uh, there was a, a, a couple that had decided they were, they were moving here. Uh, he was going to teach at the university, and he... They, they, they looked at different churches online and had already picked Alliance before they ever moved here. And they sent a, a message to the church office that they were moving here uh, and they would need some help unpacking their truck. They didn't know anybody. They were coming, just them and two little ones. And so some people in our church volunteered to do that. Carol took it a step further and invited this couple, this family over for dinner. She called me at the office to inform me of this and I freaked out. Conversation went something like this. Hey, that family that's moving into town today, they're going to come over for dinner tonight. Excuse me? <laughs> that family that's moving into town, they're, they're going to come over for dinner tonight. But Carol, we don't know them. Well, I imagine that will change once they come over. <laughs> I asked, is the kitchen clean? And she said, it will all be fine by the time you get home. And then I said, it just feels weird to invite strangers over for dinner, Carol. What if they're weird? Or what if they think we're weird? And she said, Scott, aren't you a pastor? I hate it when she plays that card. But she could have just as easily said, aren't you a Christian? So we, we hung up. 
I came home a few hours later, completely nervous. Just minutes before they arrived, we discovered that we were all out of napkins. I freaked out again. How on earth could we have strangers over for dinner if we didn't have napkins? Carol informed me that it was going to be fine. We would just use some paper towels. I told her that was going to be completely embarrassing. We can't use paper towels. Strangers are coming over. She again said, it's going to be fine. The family came in, and within a few minutes, we were all sitting down for dinner. And after I prayed, the husband looked at us and said, thanks so much for having us over. We were a bit nervous driving over here, but I knew it was going to be fine when I saw the paper towels. He said, we never use napkins at our house either. <laughs> True story. And I got that look from Carol, you know, like, when are you going to learn, buddy? <laughs> My point in all of that is this. Maybe you're not gifted in this, but you're called to it. And if your spouse is gifted in it, you're just going to have to let them run with that gift and, and come along for the ride and learn. Christians are to be friendly welcoming people. For some of us, if we wait until our house is big enough or decorated like a Southern living home, we might not ever have anybody over. And that will be our loss. And that will not help our church family grow closer. And we, we might miss the blessing of turning a stranger into a friend. And someone might sit among us lonely, not giving one rip how big our house is or, or, or what it looks like. They just want to be with people. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think that verse can be applied to this topic. Let's pray. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Father, help us to do what your word says. Help us to lay down our pride. Help us to love each other in very practical ways. Help us to greet one another, to welcome one another, remembering that it is a simple demonstration of an amazing reality. By the cross, you have welcomed us as strangers and invited us into an eternal heaven. May that truth change us completely. And may it alter how we use our home and how we serve one another on Sunday mornings. Help us to not be too busy or too hurried. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.